church. It's a short walk today. I'm okay with that. Um, I I don't remember when I'd put it in, but I put it in my calendar and was looking at um, the dates coming up for the next week. And I said, uh, hey, Josh, um, it's your anniversary Sunday. He's like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, don't come to church. <clears throat> He's like, oh, no, it'll be fine. Like, it'll, I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, this is important. It's okay to take a Sunday off. It's okay to take a Sunday away. Um, and so blessings on him and Ashley as they celebrate their anniversary today. Um, excited to be able to support them while they do that. Um, and I'm going to, while I'm thinking about it, put my phone on Do Not Disturb. Because the Lord knows now that I have it sitting up here with me, it'll definitely go off. Um, Well, I'm glad to be with you here this morning. We are continuing on, taking the next step in our series that we have called Refocus. And I've I've found these conversations to be really helpful, something to be reflecting on um, in the midst of what might feel like panic and what might feel like craziness. It's, it's, It's been comforting to take a step back and look at what was Jesus about? What was what were his driving missions and and what were the things that he faced as he was walking on the earth um, and I don't know about you but I've just found these conversations to be really helpful to me um, and I hope that they've been encouraging to you as well um, what we're doing this morning is actually a little bit of a part two to the sermon from last week so um, they, they go together, they fit together, and we're going to open them up. But I think that this one will stand alone. Like, if you, if you haven't heard last week, then that's okay. Um, it's it's going to make sense to you. But I want you to know that I could have tried to stick them all into one sermon, but we'd have been here all day, and I know you guys got things to do. So um, that's kind of where we're at. But this is... Um, Last week's conversation was so interesting, just zeroing in on how, how demons interact with the world and, and, and how Jesus interacts with demons and just kind of shows up to their house and like, yeah, this is mine now. Um, so I love that picture of Jesus, and I'm excited to get to share to you a, a little bit deeper um, about some of the concerns that the crowd had and how Jesus wanted to address them. Um, so as we begin, I just invite you to, uh, to pray together with me. Um, I'm going to pray the disciples' prayer as Jesus left for us a model to pray. Not that these are magic words, but that um, they help us to orient our heart towards God's heart for us. So would you pray together with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, we're going to be picking up where we left off last week, so if you join me um, in Luke chapter 11, we're going to begin in verse 29. If you're using the Blue Bibles, it's on page 1085. 1085 in the Blue Bibles, or if you want to navigate to Luke chapter 11, that's where we will be this morning. And this passage is is really interesting. You'll, You'll recall that, uh, well, maybe you won't recall, but there are, in Scripture, 
four different biographies of Jesus. So we, we oftentimes will just refer to them as the Gospels. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're, they're biographies of Jesus written by four different guys, four different perspectives, um, four different distances from Jesus. Um, John and Matthew were disciples. They walked with him. Mark and Luke, they're hearing secondhand stories and trying to put together um, a biography. But this passage is one that shows up in a couple of different places. And Luke's emphasis here, I think, is, is fascinating. Whereas um, Matthew does a little bit more clarifying. Luke just kind of lays it all out there and I think gives us an opportunity to see a different heart behind the words Jesus is saying. So let's read together in Luke chapter 11 and verse 29. When the crowds were increasing, he, Jesus, began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah will become a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So let's take a few minutes and and unpack some of this. Um, When the crowds were increasing, Jesus began teaching. He says, you guys seek for a sign. You guys want some kind of miraculous sign uh, that proves that I am who I say I am, that God is doing in the world what he says he was doing, and you're looking for a sign, but you're not going to get a sign except the sign of Jonah. Well, who the heck is Jonah? Fishman. You guys know that story? Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of a whale. See, this is actually in, um, this is a picture that I took in, oh, gosh, Joppa. The the name of the city is Joppa, which is where uh, Jonah got spit out of the fish. So the city where Jonah got spit back out on land, they've got this statue of this really cute-looking whale with water coming out of it uh, that commemorates Jonah. Um, and I got to do like a little touristy picture because whatever. And, and Joppa is a really, really neat city. It's been occupied for a long time, and these artists have kind of moved in and made it their own. It's a really, really neat city. Anyway, if you ever get the chance, I, I would not miss Joppa. Um, but but we, this is kind of how we picture Jonah's story. Jonah's story is, oh, that dude that got ate by a whale. Like, and we see this, the children's storybook pictures, uh, or we have, I used to have, I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen this, I used to, or my mom had. Um, it was, a, it was a, globe, a globe that looked a lot like, had that same shape, but it was blown glass, and then there was the wick that came out, but if you looked into the thing, like you could see a little guy sitting in the belly of, of the whale, and it was an oil candle. I, thought, I always thought it was super neat. But like we have this cartoony image of who Jonah was and what his story was. But Jonah is a hard book to, to, to wrestle with. Um, and I think it would be, I almost like diverted and did the whole ser- sermon on, on the book of Jonah. Um, because I think it really is, a, time, it is a, a book and a message that's apropos to the time we're facing now of great division, of great hatred. See, Jonah was a prophet. He was somebody who talked for God, who, who represented God's word to the people. And then God says, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to go to this capital city of the nation that is oppressing you, and I want you to preach there. 
And Jonah says, I know, no thanks, and runs in the opposite, the complete opposite direction, trying to go as far away from Nineveh as he possibly can. And that's where we hear about the fish. There's a storm, and and the sailors throw Jonah over. And it's so interesting, in that book, if you pay attention, everything in that book does what God wants it to, except for the prophet of God. The sailors, the pagan sailors, do what God wants them to do. The boat does what it wants. The storm listens to God's voice. The waves and the wind listen to God's voice. Later on, there's the fish that does and listens to God's voice. There's a a plant, and there's the sun that scorches the plant. All of these things in this book do exactly what God wants, except for the one person who says that's all he does. Jonah's a character for our time. God gets his attention, and he preaches in the city of Nineveh, which, you know, I, I, I would have liked to hear how his message went. All right, guys. Y'all better change it up. God's going to destroy you. And I hope he does. Like, I'm kind of hoping that you don't listen to what I got to say, because I really would just like for him to rain down fire and burn this city up, because y'all are losers. But, like, I, he told me I got to be here, I got to tell you, so uh, God's going to destroy you unless you change, unless you repent. Bye. And the Ninevites hear, like, Jonah's half-hearted message, and they're like... God's going to destroy us. Yahweh is serious. Like, we need to repent. And they, they tear their clothes and they repent in sackcloth and ashes. And the whole city is spared from God's wrath because of Jonah's half-hearted obedience to God, which I think is fascinating. And that's where we typically end the story, right? We, we know Jonah finally went to Nineveh and the people of Nineveh turned to Yahweh, at least temporarily, so that their, their city wasn't destroyed. And that's kind of the end. But there's chapter four. There's four chapters to this story. And chapter four is where Jonah pouts because God saved the people he wanted to save. God, how dare you extend your grace to people like that? Don't you know what they've done? Don't you know how they have made our family to suffer? Don't you know how wicked those people are? How dare you, God? God's like, yeah. It's a fascinating book. And here Jesus says, look, you guys, you guys are an evil generation. You are seeking a sign. You want miracles. Uh, you want to see things that are tangible, and, 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 and you want proof. You want undeniable proof that I am who I say I am, and God is doing what he's doing. And I, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. Oh, what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? Like, what do you, Jonah, like, um, Jonah's not really a Bible character we want to copy. Jonah's a good example of how not to be an evangelist. <laughs> what do you mean the sign of Jonah, Jesus? And, and, and here's where like, I'm going to try real hard to stay on track, because there's about a thousand different rabbit trails I could go on. But I think the story of Jonah is so interesting when you lay it side by side with the story of Christ, because Jonah refused to preach until he had suffered for three days and then repented somewhat, and then he went to preach, and then the people repented. Jesus began by preaching, and he preached and he preached and he preached, and then finally said, I've got to suffer now, and then for three days and nights was in the grave before he rose again and conquered death and said, look, like here's the life that I was preaching to you. So it's kind of like their stories are reversed. The sign of Jonah. Like, what do you mean? Like, Jonah... Jonah was sinful, and God judged him. Yeah, but I'm the sinless one, and God's going to judge me, and he's going to make a way for this. It doesn't make sense now, but it will make sense. 
That's the only sign that you're going to get. And then he says, for Jonah became a sign of the people, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. And he, he, he inserts this, um, this sentence about the Queen of Sheba, and then he comes back. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Hey, the wicked people that didn't have their act together, that heard the word of God and did it, those are the people that, are, that God's going to, in the last day, let them judge you. You think you're all religious. You're the children of Israel. You've got everything on. You've got all the cards stacked in your favor. You have all of this um, that's going for you. And yet the people of Nineveh, ugh, those guys, those nasty Assyrians who would stick people on top of poles and watch their bodies slide down as they slowly impaled, those people who watched that for TV are going to judge you because they heard of the word of God and they did what God said. He says, look, uh, the Queen of Sheba came and, and listened to the wisdom of Solomon. Now, this is a, a little bit before Jonah's time. But the Queen of Sheba was a, is an African queen who heard about how wise the king of Israel was. And so she traveled and traveled and traveled. She just wanted to hear this guy's wisdom. It was a pagan who saw that Yahweh was doing something in the world and, and came to give honor to Yahweh because of the wisdom that he was exhibiting through Solomon. Jesus says, hey, something greater than Solomon is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. And get an amen. 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 <laughs> something greater than Solomon is here. And I think it's interesting that Jesus says something. I would, if it were me, I'd have been like somebody. Somebody greater than Solomon is here, you know, I mean, say, let me tell you, I am the greatest that there ever was. My name is Jesus Christ, I come down from heaven, I'm born in a stable, and now I'm going to reign in glory, because y'all are going to do, like, some awful things to me, but I'm going to be faithful to God. Like, let me tell you who I am! He says, no, something, something greater than Solomon is here. Not just the person, but the person who's here on a mission who's fulfilling the mission that God gave to him. Something greater than Jonah, who was a dude who had a mission but refused to do it, is here in your midst. You Israelites think you've got it all together because you got yourself cleaned up, but you're going to miss it if you don't see who's in your midst. I am the sign you're looking for. Which makes me wonder about us. What's our relationship with Jesus? Do we follow Jesus? Like, do we follow him and we want to learn from him and we want to do the things he did? We want to live the way that he lived. Do we follow Jesus or do we just keep him close for safety? I know I can't do anything about that hell thing when I die. And so I, and I know that Jesus has kind of already conquered that. So I'm going I'm to keep him close like a... We'll, we'll stay nearby so that he can take care of me when that time comes. But I can kind of do my own thing over here. <clears throat> I, got a, I got a cross hanging from my rearview mirror, and that makes it so that uh, I can go like 10 over the speed limit instead of 5. Like, Jesus protects me from speeding tickets, you know what I mean? He's, I got that Jesus fish on the back of my bumper, which means that nobody's going to rear-end me, right? Like, do we keep Jesus close to us for safety? Is he a good luck charm in our life? Like, for real, think about it. 
Because there's a whole lot of crosses and a whole lot of front yards. There's a whole lot of faith over fear in our neighborhoods right now from people who don't seem to me to be following Jesus. Do we follow Jesus or are we just keeping him nearby for safety? Are we, are we banking on the fact that we had good parents and we grew up in church and we were confirmed when we were young? Or are we following Jesus today? Saying, Jesus, whatever it is that you want. Is he a bobblehead just saying yes to whatever it is that you want? Or is he the Lord of your life who's guiding and directing every step that you take? And I'm trying to, like, I'm trying to bring it down because I see this so much and it's hard. Like, how do you convince somebody that they need Jesus when they think they already have him? And it's a heart issue. And I can't see your heart, but it's something that I think Jesus is going to work out with you. These folks were looking for a sign. They wanted undeniable proof before they would follow Jesus. Later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, um, Paul is talking about how, how, how gen- or the, the Jews would seek a sign and, and the Gentiles would seek wisdom. But, but what I preach is Christ and Christ crucified which is foolishness to everybody. The gospel, the good news that you can do nothing to save yourself, but that God himself has to come down and die on your behalf, like, is offensive. It's foolishness. But that's what we cling to. We already know that Jesus renovates, completely renovates, where we only see a need to redecorate. He continues on in verse 33 and I think brings some clarity in an unclear way, as Jesus is wont to do. Luke chapter 11, verse 33. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. He's like, look, uh, this is before electricity. So like, we've got these nice little switches that are built into the wall, which I found in my garage renovation is actually a lot more complicated than it looks. But we kind of take for granted, you flip the switch and the lights come on. You can see everything in the room. But for them, they had to light a candle, an oil candle. And they weren't very bright, partially because you don't want like a big bonfire in the middle of your living room. Like That's dangerous. So there's a small lamp, and you'd put it up somewhere high so that it would kind of diffuse its light around the room. You wouldn't, you wouldn't light a small light and kind of like hide it somewhere. You wouldn't put it under a basket. You wouldn't put it in a cellar where it has to go through walls. If you light a light to see by, you put it somewhere where you can see. He says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body's full of light. But when it is bad, your body's full of darkness. And this verse has cut to my heart over the last couple of weeks. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If you think you're seeing, but you're actually blind, 
how would you know that you can't see? If I think I can see, and I see everything clearly, and I've got perfect perspective on stuff, but I actually am am blind, who could convince me I was blind? I think I can see. I see everything perfectly. It makes sense. One plus one equals two. Be careful lest the light in you be darkness. And what's interesting to me about this is that the source of the light and the quality of the light is unchanging. You're saying you light a lamp, the lamp lets you see. The quality is unchanging. It's, it's a matter of what you choose to do with it and how and what it is that you can receive about it. What changes is our receptivity to the light. So are we all muddled up? Like it sounds like some spiritual mumbo jumbo that Jesus just kind of made up. Are we, are we a little bit confused? So look, I'm the light. I'm the light to see by. My quality doesn't change. I am what I am, and I will be what I will be. I am the one greater than Jonah. I am the one greater than Solomon. If you choose not to see by me, your eye is dark. Doesn't matter where you think you're walking to, you can't see. You're going to stumble. But if you see by me, your whole body is made perfect. Here's our big idea for the morning, and I'm going to have to skip up if it'll go. One more. Our whole self is made healthy when we see by Jesus' light. Our whole self is made healthy when we see by Jesus' light. We're not just spirits, right? And we know this implicitly because it's almost 11 o'clock and we're starting to feel hungry, Right? Like, we, we have a body. We are whole beings. And our whole self is made healthy when we see by Jesus' light. When we look at the world through his perspective, when we lean on him and trust like him and walk like him, we're better for it. Sometimes we think God just kind of like makes up rules to suck the fun out of our life, right? <laughs> like, my kids think that about me anyway. Like, I'm just saying stuff so that you're miserable. But, but God's like, look, like, this is the way to life. I give you life and abundant life. Like, I'm sorry. Like, sometimes it's going to feel like rules, but I'm not saying it because it's bad for you. I'm saying it because it's best for you. Like, follow me. I will give you life. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. I walk with you. I have borne the burden. I went to the cross. I did it willingly. I didn't go kicking and squicking, kicking, kicking and screaming like Jonah. I knew what I signed up for when I came. I knew I was going to get born to Mary and Joseph, and they're boneheads. But I put up with them. I submitted to them. I was a teenager who literally knew it all, and I obeyed my parents anyway. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. Are we beyond scrutinizing our beliefs? Have we, have we gotten to a place where we're so comfortable with how we see the world and we're so comfortable with what we know about God and what we know about the world? 
are we beyond scrutinizing, asking questions about what we believe? When we face something kind of unfamiliar, do we wrestle with it or do we write it off? In Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The salvation's already come. Jesus has started this thing, but work it out. Like, follow it through with fear and trembling. Hebrews, several times throughout that book, God gives a warning through the author and says, hey, look, like, there's a possibility that, that you need to shore up your faith. Like, you need to keep testing this. You need to be asking the hard questions about whether this faith is genuine. Be careful unless you think you stand, because if you think you're standing on, and you're standing on the sand, then you're going to fall down. When the storm comes, everything's going to get washed away. But when we see by Jesus' light and we live by Jesus' light, our whole self is made healthy. And Jesus' life was characterized by humility. Like, I, I, I don't think you could read any of the interactions that Jesus had and be like, man, that dude was so arrogant. Who does he think he is? You believe he... Like, no, Jesus' life is characterized by humility, patience with stupid people over and over and over again. Amen. And if Jesus' life is characterized by humility, what leg do we have to stand on to be arrogant? To insist on our own way? Our whole self is made healthy when we see by Jesus' light. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. I want for you to see by him. I want for you to follow him. And he wants the same. Because the Israelites he was talking to thought they had it together. They thought they had God in their back pocket. And he said, yeah, it's not going to be good for you when Nineveh rolls up in the last day. Let's pray together. God, thanks for this morning. Thank you for your word. Um, Lord, I pray that if there's anything in my own opinion in, in what I've said, that that stuff would just get washed away, but God, that your word would stand true. Father, oftentimes you've spoken in parables and were purposefully confusing, but God, I pray that you would bring our hearts close to you, that you would help us to see what it is that you are trying to accomplish in us. And Lord, I pray that you would find soft hearts that are willing to be molded and shaped by you. I ask that you would grow in us a desire to to know you through your word and that your spirit would guide us to live it out. I pray that we'd be able to walk in your light. God, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.